This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Jolly Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Barrett. This podcast is for those who are interested in the conversation around equity, diversity, and inclusion. Each week, I'll be interviewing a guest who has something special to share or is actively part of building solutions in the space. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. It's Melissa Barrett here. I figured since everyone is talking about artificial intelligence and how it is being incorporated into all sorts of things with chat GPT and everything else, that it might be kind of fun to repost an episode that I did really early on in, I think it was 2020. Scott Eddington, who is the CEO of Deep Labs, and I just thought it might be interesting to go back and hear some of what we were talking about when it comes to artificial intelligence. Scott is the CEO of Deep Labs, and you know his career spans two decades of creating next-generation technology in the payments, defense, and intelligence sectors. I got to know Scott. Uh, We both worked at Visa for a period of time, and he was global head of research and development at Visa and really founded the Visa Labs. So now they have, you know, an innovation center and all of those things. But he was in the groundbreaking states of shifting Visa in many ways uh, when he was there. So he began his career at Booz Allen Hamilton. He's been an adjunct professor at Georgetown University and George Mason University. And he's a guest lecturer. He holds degrees from the University of Virginia and Johns Hopkins. I should obviously be calling him Dr. Scott Eddington. Um, But he has many industry certifications in security, strategy, and network computing. He is all around persona-based artificial intelligence at Deep Labs. And they use that persona-based artificial intelligence to enable businesses to solve complex problems. And they're continuously assessing risk in real time. That was something we knew very well working at Visa because that's the way you end up being able to reduce fraud, identity theft, optimize your customer experience, and make better business decisions and therefore more revenue. So 
with that, I will let you hear an excerpt from episode seven of the Jolly Podcast. Check it out. Dr. Eddington, thank you so much for joining me for this wonderful conversation. I am ecstatic to talk to you about all of the things that you have accomplished uh, with respect to now you being the CEO and co-founder of Deep Labs. And maybe we could just start there and you can talk about, you know, what is Deep Labs? Sure. Well, number one, thanks for taking the time um, to spend with me this, this afternoon. I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, you know, so Deep Labs, you know, in a 30-second uh, overview, moving to view, it's a, you know, a, a company that's pretty much focused entirely on context where artificial intelligence uh, capabilities. And so what that means for the, for the non-geek out there effectively is you know, think of a world where um, computer systems really fully appreciate what persona you might be exhibiting at any given moment in time. So the easy example I always use is Scott Eddington sitting in, in Oakland, California, pre-pandemic is a little different than Scott Eddington having you know, shelter in place you know, for two and a half to three months in Oakland, California. Yes, from an identity perspective, it's still Scott, but obviously the context and everything around all of us has shifted. And because of that, you know, having systems that are intelligent enough to understand that, yes, well, Scott, but the personas, the personas that Scott will now exhibit will be dramatically different or would have shifted based on context, based on surroundings, based on, you know, everything that's happening in 2020. Yeah, that's interesting that you call them personas because as in the world of diversity and inclusion, and of course, I've worked in the area of identity it's all about your identity. And it's almost like we have multiple identities all over the place, um, whether you're at work or at home or, you know, what your shopping looks like or any of that kind of stuff. So those personas, I'm assuming, can really engage a person in different ways, depending on what they're trying to do. No, I, I think you nailed it, Melissa. Um, obviously, given your background, you fully appreciate all the and the interesting things that have happened in the industry in the last 10, 20, now 30 years of our respective careers. And the reality is that, you know, circa you know, 2005, 2010, simply using sort of static attributes like mom's maiden name or social security number, that was fine, frankly. And that's how most of the sort of keyed off of understanding, is it really Scott or is it not, right? But as we all know, unfortunately, due to some you know, well-known data breaches and other things that have occurred now in the world, those static signals are frankly very much antiquated or my vernacular decayed. And they've decayed because everyone has access to them now. I mean, you can Google where I went to high school, you can Google where I was born, like it's freely available and most times pretty accurate. And if things you don't, you can't Google, you can certainly find out the dark web for next to nothing. And so because of that, as we, you know, as we both know as practitioners, you know, there were a number of point solution providers that came up specifically focused around errant, you know, things like address verification or device signals and device intelligence, which again, were absolutely fantastic absolutely fantastic as a sort of a, a way to sort of patch the holes. But unfortunately, like anything else, you know, the advanced press that exist out there, whether it be from nation state actors, whether it be from, you know, from, from folks who, who are you know, individuals trying to do nefarious things, these signals have also decayed. And so what we've been really been focused on is figuring out a mechanism and capabilities that we have to effectively create a full context-rich understanding of about, about an actor. An actor for us, by the way, it could be an organization, it could be a consumer, it could be a human being, it could be a bot. But the idea is effectively we want to be able to understand at multi-layers which signal should be used 
to identify what context that that actor actually being in, and then understand exactly what persona we'd expect to that that actor to exhibit at this moment in time versus what reality is, and then effectively figure out a way mechanism to see whether or not is that really who we expect Scott Ames persona to be right now versus you know what we've actually seen this persona before, and last time we saw it, it was associated with a bad act. You know what? I know they presented all the correct credentials, but decline, 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 or you know what? It's a little different than we, did, we might expect from, from Scott at this moment, but you know, oh, he's in Washington, D.C. today, as opposed to California. Therefore, let's not introduce friction to this consumer experience. Let's go ahead and, and approve that transaction. And so it does work both ways, either from a propensity standpoint or an authorization standpoint, all the way to you know, the opposite spectrum, which is you know, advanced risk capabilities. One of the things that I hear a lot about is just in terms of people of color and you know, I spent a lot of time, obviously, on financial education. And so there is this whole segment about financial inclusion. And essentially, there are many people, specifically of color, who are not part of the financial system. But I think all economies think that they should be working or at least have a strategic plan to address financial inclusion. So can you talk a little bit about how artificial intelligence and where we're going impacts people that are not, maybe they don't have a bank account or they um, aren't, you know, maybe they're using a check cashing or, you know, doing some alternative financing. How does that impact some of the stuff that you're doing with artificial intelligence and all of those discussions we're having on privacy and, and other things? Yeah, well, number one, thanks for the question. It's, it's a topic that I'm, as you know, very passionate about, um, specifically the, the underbanked populations, whether it be here in the U.S. or, or certainly globally. It, you know, it's you know, the numbers are very clear. They disproportionately affect people of color. So, you know, I, I would say, you know, first and foremost, I think the key thing is understanding. Again, going back to this in my, my my college days, what are the what are the influences to why that's happening? So that could be both macro and micro. I think there are some system, you know, obviously systematic um, reasons for some of the underbanked reasons, but I also think from a you know, from a techie perspective for for a second, if you sort of take a step back and look at how typical systems, bank systems, or financial services systems work, in terms of how they onboard new customers or, or, or clients, how they make you know credit underwriting decisions, how they verify things like income. Or verify addresses. These are all sort of things that, you know, frankly, you and I sort of take for granted, you know, given, you know, given what we are. But these are real things that are hurdles and introduce friction, even for something simply as I want to start a bank account for my, you know, my eight-year-old, or I want to start a college fund, or you know what, I just want to have a checking account so I can, you know, write checks or, you know, God forbid, write checks now, but you know, as sort of speak in the, in the in the digital economy, and so. When I would say, going back to my, my earlier statement around you know, signals and noise, the ability to not always focus on all sort of the, again, the antiquated signals of yesteryear, mom's maiden name, you know, what, what high school you go to, you know, some of the, the old sort of static signals, but more focused on the near or sort of the recent signals that now exist based off of, you know, where we are and well, normally where we would be in 2020 and hopefully now in 2021. And I, I, I stress that only because whether we, again, talk about digital onboarding remotely, because now I guess everyone really doesn't want to go into a branch, but how do you actually 
how do you actually identify that is in fact Scott without having a you know social security card? And I'm dating myself, social security card or a passport. How do you do that remotely? How do you do that securely? How do you do that in a frictionless environment that's not you know overly invasive? Number one, but still has a confidence level that's higher enough that says that actually meets the guidelines necessary for a risk-based system. And so, the, you know, a long answer to your very short question, the, the reality is, is that for the underbanked populations, keying off of things that are, are in static signals of yesteryear is actually a method of dis- disenfranchisement. It, it is. And, and so if we're able to use modern signals, if we're able to use the context that we talked before around personas, then in fact, you can start providing banking services and banking capabilities to folks who ordinarily wouldn't necessarily have a, a, a generic checking account. So if you're talking about, let's say, the prepaid market as an example, as we both know, that's something the underbank population does does use, does leverage. You know, how do you actually still enable them to be onboarded um, and still meet the demands of, you know, like the Patriot Act, Patriot Act as you know? That sometimes is difficult for some people um, from a hurdle perspective, right? So again, is it simply keying off of static signals or can you actually start replacing those static signals with dynamic signals that we now enjoy? And the answer overwhelmingly is yes. Let's pause for a moment. We'll be right back. Well, and it's interesting because it seems like the more signals we get, the more models are built that provide, you know, things like credit scoring and fraud scoring capabilities. And if the underbanked population has a lack of information in those models, then it can create other challenges for whatever the objective is, which, to your point, hopefully is less systemic in terms of you know, kind of hurdles around systemic racism and stuff like that in the past, because at least it's using information in an objective manner. But if the data is not there, then I guess you have other issues. So h- how do you account for things like signals that aren't really there? Mm-hmm. I know to answer two parts, I think. First thing is, let's just fully recognize how the old all systems work, right? And what they over-index for, which is, Given your background, you know firsthand they're over-indexed with things that tend to, frankly, tend to uh, represent certain populations, not, not others, right? So if you look at it from this pure data science modeling perspective, what does the sample look like, right? And figuring out what should the sample be in 2020 versus maybe what it was in 1985 or 1990 when a lot of these systems were first sort of theorized, right? And so if you sort of eliminate the, dare I say, the, the lag of proper sampling, you actually fix that, that's, that's step one. Step two is if you now have a proper sample or a fully representative sample, then you can start looking at other methods and other attributes and characteristics that could represent the gap that the youth mentioned, right? So again, as opposed to keying off of where you went to, up, where you went to high school, the fact that you know, you've had a job for the last two, two years at the same place, frankly, I'd rather know that. <laughs> Than where you went to high school. Yeah, it was college school, you know, <laughs> back, in, back in the early 90s, right? So, you know, and I sort of say this somewhat flippantly, but, but it's actually true. Again, if you, if you really just think about the context surrounding each individual, you know, 
human beings are remarkably great at picking up on things, right? You know, when someone's a little bit off that thing, right? Or something, you know, your gut says something's not quite right. Up until now, those models, they didn't really take into account instinct or gut. They, they listen to just hard, fast numbers. This is what we've always done as a decline, as opposed to, wait a minute, this guy's had a job for the last year, same place, same income level. That company's doing well. I, I can tell you that company's doing well because, you know, a thousand other factors that we have access to. You know what? He's not actually not a credit risk, right? Like, that, that, that's, that's actually someone we want to get behind, as opposed to, you know, decline because we can't figure out when we went to high school. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's really interesting because as we, so where do you think we're going now since you're all into the artificial intelligence and cryptocurrency and all of that? What does life look like 10 years from now? I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said 10 years as opposed to next year. <laughs> <laughs> it's anybody's guess, 2021, right? I'd <laughs> well, be happy to have to make it 2021, right? Um, no, in all seriousness, I think from a, financial services perspective, I think it really does come down to just hyper-personalization. But not in like a creepy way where it's like, oh, okay, yeah, uh-huh. No, this, is, this is too sci-fi-ish, like 1980s, the sci-fi movie-ish. I don't want that, right? But what, they, what customers do do want, and to be fair, it's also a little bit generational, right? So the, the kids, it's not old now, but if the kids are coming up right now, you know, there's, they have a certain expectation about what an experience looks like versus someone, let's say my parents' age, who are like, Wait, no, I, I actually, I want to, I want to actually just get type in my name. I don't want them to know it was me to just walk in the door, right? And, and it's slightly generation, but I, I would say to answer your direct question, 10 years from now, it really is all about hyper-personalization. It is about understanding not only that it's Scott, but it's Scott on a Friday afternoon, you know, someone dressed down. And right now I can tell you, I can extrapolate that Scott's sort of quasi-business Scott, but he's sort of sliding into the weekend. So his persona is going to, well, it shifted. The thing is that Scott will expect to have as he walks into a restaurant or walks into a grocery store, will be dramatically different than if he was Tuesday afternoon, full suit in New York City, walking down the street. Yeah, it's still Scott, but hey, I'm going to influence Scott to maybe purchase this item. Or you know what? Don't bother Scott at all because very clearly, yes, Sears is going to space carrying this, this briefcase and he said it's look, a, a customer meeting. And so again, for me, it is about total hyper-personalization. It's about understanding exactly what persona that actor is exhibiting at that moment in time, what, what, what persona we expect that person to exhibit in a, in a window of time. And then ultimately, how do, you, how do you best create an environment that is friction-free and also very secure that, again, creates a hyper personal experience such that that consumer wants to use your product or that consumer wants to be part of, of your community. I mean, it's not, not totally geek out on you, but like that's what's coming and frankly, that's what's already here. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting because I'm maybe dating myself now, but I still remember the Jetsons when I was growing up. <laughs> and that's what it feels like. We're kind of moving into the Jetsons, which, you know, is pretty old when you think about what they were <laughs> envisioning way back then. So um, very interesting stuff. Well, well, well it's, it's funny, though, about the, because I used to watch the Jetsons and all that stuff, too, um, is that if you really sort of dissect those shows, like, all this stuff's already happened. Yeah. Right? So whether it be the you know the scooters that try to knock me over in the middle of, of Oakland half of the time, <laughs> uh, or down here in DC, um, you know that's real, right? Um, whether it be all the sensor technology that enables you know things like the Segway devices to to work, or whether you know whether it be even our online experiences where lo and behold, um, I'm talking to you via video camera in real time feed, and it's almost like you're in the same room with me. 
that was all, I mean, I don't know about you, but I know when I was growing up in the late seventies and the eighties, um, that was all sci-fi stuff. Like that was going to happen. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and that's here now. And so yeah. the ability to email down to using a mobile device and be able to unlock it with your face um, or your fingerprints or to be able to transact, i.e. send some, some form of currency halfway around the world. And, and as you know, Visa, you know, less than, less than a second, like that's amazing. Right and, now. And that's already here right now. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So uh, I'm going to kind of go off on a little bit of a tangent because I know now that you lead a company, Deep Labs, there has to be lots of discussion on representation and diversity and kind of, and I know you have somebody that's dedicated to, I think they call it people and culture, if I remember her title properly. And, you know, I have been at places where people say, I don't want to talk about company culture. We don't have a corporate culture. You know, what does that mean? Um, now we have this whole segment of people that are focused on diversity and inclusion. And I think probably every practitioner would agree that ideally those jobs should go away at some point because really we should have diversity and inclusion, belonging, equity, all embedded into all of the company activities. So are there things, especially in your business, I imagine with representation being challenging for STEM students, like how, what are some things that you guys are thinking about in terms of, you know, accessing talent in those areas? Yeah, um, great question. As you know, well, that's a, a topic I'm quite passionate about and fully believe in. You know, so I, I would say, you know, my mindset, to be fair, is also very much given the fact that, you know, both my parents were children of the 60s, growing up in the South. And again, my, you know, my grandparents, both sides were, were educators. So again, education is very important. It's the building blocks uh, of, of how you sort of get ahead, so to speak, right? To actually achieve the quote-unquote American dream. And so with that as a backdrop, my father um, worked at you know, HBCUs for most of his career. Um, and so again, you know, understanding how HBCUs work, understanding how the, the, the network effect associated with that, something that we whether it be when I was booze or Visa, certainly now we do tap into from a pipeline perspective. Um, the good news is there's plenty of folks out there who are, you know, su super motivated, highly intelligent, and they just want an opportunity, right? The, the difficult part is figuring out how to map those folks who, who have all those attributes that you want into roles that, um, and frankly, also locations where there are communities of, of, of people of color, right? And so for us at Deep Labs, the cool thing, I was going to plug my company for a second, sorry, I had to do it, is, is that you know, we have locations, whether it be in the Bay Area or in places like New York and Washington, D.C., which, as you know, have you know, large communities of people of color. And so we are actively, actively seeking you know, folks who want to, want to join a company that is very much forward, forward looking, forward thinking, but also very much mindful of very clear core values around things like accountability, which is important, but you know, collaboration, integrity, and you know, having, you know, high degree of teamwork. And I stress that because at the, at the end of the day, from a pipeline perspective, especially within, within the STEM um, perspective, most folks who come up with those programs, they've had to do, they've had to abide by those core values just to make it, right? You have to be accountable, not only to yourself, but to, to other, other you know, classmates. You have to, you have to have integrity of your work. 
obviously you're not you're, you're not going to get your diploma if, if 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 you're not being honest. You have to be able to show you know, teamwork and collaboration because oftentimes you're dealing with you know group projects and everything else, right? And so for us, again, you know, really having a dedicated you know function within our company focused on diversity, inclusion, and people and culture is we believe as a, as a fundamental enabler to the success of our business. And 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 I would say having having spoken with other you know people of color that either you know have co-founded or founded other companies or or senior executives at you know Fortune 100 companies, that is, that is something that I believe is sort of universally shared at this point. I, I will say that unfortunately for us, um, you know, dude, much like everyone else in the pandemic, it has hurt a little bit our ability to recruit. If for not, if for no reason, just getting in front of people. But I would say that for those who are listening that are actually seeking you know, positions, there are there are people there are people like me who are actually looking for people like you. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think, um, you know, because even during the pandemic, I think people thought that, you know, there's no jobs out there. And I kept get, I kept trying to send them out because, I mean, every other day somebody would say they're hiring um, even through the pandemic. So I think it's interesting to see how growth occurs because clearly there's some contraction going on, but then in other areas, there is still lots of growth happening, you know, and I think, I know we've seen lots of, you know, um, digitization growth over the last, you know, several months. So it'll be interesting to see how things develop. And uh, I'm looking forward to to seeing you in 10 years, you know, flying a, a self-driving car somewhere. <laughs> Or maybe back in defense somewhere. Who knows? Yes. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being with me today. And um, it's always a pleasure catching up with you, Dr. Eddington. And I know you do a lot of teaching. I know that's near and dear to your heart as well. So I appreciate you bringing up historically Black colleges and universities because a lot of the HBCs don't get the credibility, the, you know, the visibility that they really deserve. So kudos to your parents and your grandparents for putting so much into you that you can continue to feed it into other generations. I I appreciate that. And I I will definitely pass it along to them. They'll be be pleased to hear that. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being here, Scott. And I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you, Melissa. Take care. Thanks for joining me on the Jolly Podcast. Please subscribe so you won't miss an episode. See you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.